Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Garrett. In last week's podcast, uh, we teased something without actually saying what it was that we were going to actually talk about, uh, where Garrett was, a instead of a dream weaver, more of a dream crusher, where he comes in and tells you things that uh, against... Uh, the things that you've always known and loved, that you've been told as a child on your grandpappy's knee. And uh, boy, the emails just didn't stop coming in. Thousands. Thousands and thousands. Yeah. And so we're going to talk fact, about that In that today. episode hasn't even dropped yet. <laughs> it hasn't. It hasn't. In, in, you do. In you that do. episode, I uh, referenced uh, the Lakers and, and how much I wanted, uh, or I thought that you know they're, they're really moving in the right direction. Um. Uh, I am actually a, a Laker fan. They're which currently is, losing by 18. <laughs> which is a, uh, you know, I, we live in Utah. It's a bit of a heresy, obviously. I, I think the Jazz are lovely. Uh, I think that they're great. My kids are Jazz fans, but I didn't grow up here. And when I was a kid... You also didn't grow up in Los Angeles. No, I did not. But so my my sports affiliations are aligned to the teams that were good when I was nine, uh, growing up in uh, rural Idaho, so we didn't have cable. So you'd get what would we get in terms of games? The Lakers were the Showtime Lakers when I was by a that kid. rationale. You should be a Notre Dame fan. So I like. <laughs> I'm not. I, I'm a BYU football football fan, um, but uh, uh, also Boise State football fan, and obviously Oklahoma State football fan. Now, now, yeah, yeah, yeah go Pokes. Uh, but so yeah, the Showtime Lakers were good when I was a kid. The Yankees were good when I was a kid, and the Chicago Bears were good when I was a kid. So those are the three team. Of, that's what everyone wanted to know. Anyway, so I I am a big Laker fan. Garrett makes a reasonable amount of fun of the fact that that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and and, and I mean, he's, I mean, I like the fact that you just came right out and right out and said that you were the original bandwagon fan. 100%. Yeah, like that. What, what, when what I was team, nine? What teams yeah. did you like? The ones that were good. Well, first of all, there were three channels, and the ones that were good were on TV. So what were you going to do? You know, look, I'm not currently a Kansas City Chiefs fan, although, you My know, always. Uh, yeah, of course. So, yeah, right, because he's about that age, and they're really good, and who doesn't love Andy Reid? So uh, uh, yeah, he loves Andy Reid. I'm sure it's Patrick Mahomes. I'm sure that it is. Anyway, so it's just funny as I said. Oh, hey, the Lakers. Here we go. It's very likely by the time that this episode comes out that the Lakers have been eliminated. No, they're up three one right now. Although they're down eighteen points. <laughs> uh, so I mean, oh no, no, they just hit a two pointer. So I think that. <laughs> They could come back and close this series out with the Warriors, but I, oh, another two. Oh my gosh, they're here. <laughs> everyone listening right now knows that they haven't. But they should close it out at home. They should close they it should. out at home. Well, the Warriors have one of the worst road records in the history of NBA playoff teams. So, um, so that's a perfect segue into talking about. John C. Bennett, which we'll talk about <laughs> soon enough. Because he also was a Lakers fan. <laughs> An original bandwagon fan. Yeah. Well, I mean, because they were originally the Minnesota Lakers, right? I That's mean, right. Minnesota's pretty close to Nauvoo. It makes sense. It does. But before we do, we're going to get into the Phoebe Draper mailbag. Subject, looking to 2025. Richard and Garrett. I like this. this. This has the, it portends something good. It does. I feel like we are friends and on a first name basis. I've been with you since the beginning. In, wow, really? Yeah, since in 2019, um, my good friend suddenly lost her 16-year-old to a fentanyl overdose. Oh, man. Every young tra death is tragic. When you don't know the state of your child's moral standing, it causes the parents a special kind of torment. You're covering section 76 and 93 taught me things I had no idea I knew. 
In fact, I recently went with our sister missionaries here in Seattle. There we go. Some Washington listenage. My guess is they're not supersonic fans. <laughs> or Oklahoma City Thunder fans. Uh, here in Seattle uh, to a lesson with the Indian Christian that told us the Trinity is like an egg. Shell, <laughs> white, yolk. And From be- our Trinity. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah. And believe you me, I was totally prepared. Unequivocally, I could state that we believe in three separate and distinct beings. The Father and Son have glorified bodies. It was awesome, so thank you for that. That was a tangent. Your discussion of hell, progression, the vision. I especially appreciated Richard's reference to DNC 19, who says Richard isn't valuable. It's a good question. His wife, Becky. Lots and lots and lots. <laughs> lots. It, would be, Garrett e- it regularly. would be easier to list the people <laughs> <laughs> don't who's, who's the one that does richard okay yeah. that's the list i mean i mean maybe your dad thinks you're valuable my dad yeah so garrett's mom has three premium memberships uh because <laughs> she can't figure out which one she has an android one she has two apple ones she just keeps signing, signing up, up signing up my dad on the other hand says hey give me the link to the free google drive so that's just uh that's kind of where we're at there has helped me so much in my studies So many thoughts and questions that I know you'll never get to, and so I'm going to move on. (laughs) I'm looking to 2025. We're going to kill it in 2025. I don't even know what what happens in 2025. Do I suddenly become better? No, no, no. Same same garbage, but Doctor and Covenants will be covered in the... I I mean, I know that we're not really doing the come follow... Uh, you know, me yeah, like for, if you want a good version of that, you should go listen to the following. Yeah, podcast. go listen to other podcasts that are good and they have <laughs> money behind them. But we may actually in 2025 we will we will likely go section to section in the Doctrine and Covenants. That's pretty cool. So you've got to hold out for that. If you cancel your subscription now or stop listening, well, to but that one will be free, free though. Well, we need to find a way <laughs> to make it both free and not free. It's uh, great. Well, so she she references significant visions in many many sections. Uh, I mean, all uh, so she lists a whole bunch of different sections. I mean, they are also significant and each worthy of its own book. But if you did a book uh, that was really an audio book and had it ready for everyone to go, or ready to go for everyone by twenty twenty five, wouldn't that be amazing? I'd buy one for every, I'd buy it for everyone I know. Just a thought. Thank you so much for your podcast. Truly life-changing. I love the prophet Joseph Smith and the radical and beautiful mysteries of God that he restored. Best. I I love the way you wrote that, Aaron. The radical and beautiful mysteries. That is, man, we should rename the podcast the radical and beautiful mysteries. Yeah, that's, that's, that is. But if we did, we'd have to cut Aaron in on, on our filthy lucre (laughs) and, uh, I don't That's think right. we're about to do that. No, no, no. No, no our, we, we are glutting ourselves <laughs> on the labors of people. What was the one, the, the, the comment that one person made? The glutting was, yeah, that, yeah. that was it? The glutting. It was the, we were glutting ourselves in our thoughtless stupor or something like that. <laughs> That's good. All right, so this, this subject says, hi, Dad, it's Andrew. Yeah, this is a different email. So different, the, email, different email, new email. Hi, Dad, it's Andrew. Is the subject line. That Please is the, be advised that Richard's son is named Andrew. That's the funniest. I when I read because <laughs> it's not my son that's writing this email. Right, this is not an email from his son, but in an attempt <laughs> to get past our well, I mean, you know, defense department level security. Well, so he so he, he describes it here. So hi, Dad. It's Andrew. That's just uh, it's just so funny. Uh. Dear doctor and professor, sorry for the subterfuge in the subject line, but I know that you'd never read my email, probably still won't, if I didn't get past the army of screeners that you (laughs) undoubtedly employ to handle the thousands of daily missives that you receive every day. I know that I've been blacklisted for eternity because I bowed bad mouth Jersey Mike's. And so that that in my previous email suggesting that you advertise firehouse sub. So Yeah, frankly, that, that now is that we've gotten to this point of the email, we should stop listening to it. Well, uh, stop reading it for sure. So look, you go number 5, Mike's way, two vinegars, one extra oil for dipping. That my friend, that is that is my kingdom of bliss right there. And for I, you to trash it with with uh, the Parmesan whatever bread. I'm kind of okay with just a Subway. 
I now realize that was an unpardonable. I have to live with it for the rest of my life. Having said that, I've got to make comments that will most likely just end up in the ether. But I hope that by some miracle, you will read them because I think they are important. Well, I will be honest with you. That subject line had me read it because that subject line literally yeah. made me laugh. For now we're going to get all emails addressed to yeah. from your son. Yeah. Hey, hey, Dad, it's me. Andrew, and then when those stop, hey, Dad, it's me, Rigdon, in Peru. Um, anyway. And joke's on you. He's not actually in Peru. Oh, man. I, I, we were talking with the church uh, visa travel department as we're trying to do that visa paperwork. Peru and Portugal, two of the hardest countries to get visas. He's going to be in. Look, they might be listening. Per, the Peru visa, those guys. Hey, you know what? Good enough for the FBI. Good enough for the United States. Good enough for the state of Utah. You know what, Peru? You know what? No, I don't, it's not good enough for us. What do you think of that? Maybe your son should stop running an illegal gambling organization <laughs> out of his garage. Uh, first, I know that thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I am convinced that your diligence in proclaiming the truth in the way that you do is changing lives. It has certainly changed mine, and we are living in such perilous times, and Paul certainly nailed it with his description. I have four children, and three of them, all returned missionaries, have left the church and their covenants behind. We were and are diligent parents. FHE, our family home evening, each and every week, scriptures every day, faithful in our church callings and responsibilities year after year. Then came missions and temple marriages. We were on autopilot to being the family chosen to be spotlighted by an apostle in general conference. Then in a matter of six months, all three had done their web-based research and discovered that it was all lies and that we, me in particular, as I was once a seminary teacher, had collaborated in misleading them and left them defenseless against all the intelligent and wonderful intellects and intellectuals that know for a fact what I believe is all made up and a fantasy. And listening to Richard's obvious joy about having two kids out on a mission at the same time brings back so many wonderful memories of having my daughter in Romania and my son in Peru simultaneously. The blessings we received were uncountable and I will always be grateful. It's just such a shock to the system to see them turn their backs on all that they themselves had taught and believed. Anyway, I do know that God has placed you where you are and given you the desire to spend your limited time in putting together these programs. I know it must be taxing, but I can't tell you how much it means to me to turn in every Thursday and feel the Spirit in such a sweet and meaningful way. I heard Garrett on Hank and John's podcast, and they that's the Follow Him podcast, by the way. Very good. <laughs> Highly recommend it. And they started listening for the first uh, – from the – and started listening from the first one that you guys put together and have not missed one since. I've actually listened to quite a few of them multiple times. Thank you for the downloads. Appreciate it. Since uh, I couldn't wait all the way till next Thursday, I really liked the fungus lecture. That's one of Garrett's favorites, by the way. The fun guy. The fun guy. He, mostly because you just love the title of just it. Just the title. The, the rest of it was garbage. <laughs> but. Uh, anyway, I know this won't make it out of the mailbag, the Phoebe Draper mailbag. Wow. Even no, no, I, I, that's, oh, that's okay. me editorializing here. I don't, I don't want it to, and I doubt, well, so I'm reading it, sorry. Um, <laughs> I probably should have read that, pre-read that first. And I don't, uh, and I doubt that you will have, uh, take the time to read it. But my old stake president used to say, you succeed when you invite. Applying that to the current situation, I knew I needed to write and express my deep gratitude, gratitude to you. And I have no control over whether you actually read it, but it did me good to get it down on the page. Well, digital page. I am the president of a small branch in a small town in northeastern Kansas. By the way, BYU's first Big 12 game will be uh, in Lawrence, Kansas, and I will be out there in beautiful Kansas for that game. I can't wait. It should be, mm. should be fun. BYU's got a chance in that one, so that's good. Uh, seems like a gratuitous thing to put in the middle of this beautiful email here. Uh, people are struggling to understand what is happening. You're helping all of us to not only survive, but to thrive. I do pray that God will bless you and your families as you continue to teach the truth in such a powerful way. Regards, Blaine. Blaine, that was uh, beautiful. That, that was. I'm also really, I mean, sad to hear of the difficulties of, of 
as you put it, you know, the wonderful, great experts who are, end up telling our kids and our friends all the things that they don't know. I mean, it, it really is a, a difficult time uh, where people um, undermine the faith of others and they make a pretense of having expertise and yet uh, themselves don't actually have any. And it's just sad that that you know, can sometimes um, hit close to the ones that we love and care about. There's a there's a beautiful uh, talk that President Ballard gave to um, CES leaders, seminary teachers. Um, this was 2016, I believe, something like that. Yeah. Um, about the importance of I mean, there, there's such a change that has happened just in the last couple of years that what what Blaine is describing just happens again and again and again. There's a there's an institute course um, about. Uh, teaching these gospel topics essays and and um that's that's also the church's attempt to try to to get in and, and teach youth younger to help them to know but president ballard's uh in that talk talks about the importance of inoculating the youth that gone are the days um the way that i was raised as uh as a kid in you know in idaho I couldn't even access this kind of stuff. Like it, it wasn't even something you could do. And this isn't even really something until relatively recently that this thing has exploded the way that it has and has absolutely devastated people. That people so casually, the frustration that Blaine expresses here and that we see is that people, they read a couple of things and that they that they take these things um, more than all of the knowledge, all the right. experience. And then, of course, you know, as as you know, Blaine pointed out, look, you know, my wife and I, we we did all the things you're supposed to do, and they went on missions and sealed in the temple. I, I think that's one of the one of the the terrible parts about agency, right? Is there there are things we can do to try to help our children, our friends, and our families choose to do what's right. But there's only so much we can do. And the reality is that with their agency, they might choose, you know, uh, a, a different path. And that, that brings pain. I mean, look, I'm, I'm pretty sure Lehi was having family home evening, right? I mean, that didn't seem to make it through Laman and Lemuel. You know, I, I, I have to believe that Mosiah was sharing the gospel with his kids, and all of them apostatize, right? I mean, Alma, you know, probably is occasionally telling Alma the Younger how he should live his life. And so I, I know that there's this tremendous sense uh, of responsibility on parents. And when their kids make choices that lead them away from the gospel, it, it's so devastating, not just on the on that personal level because it's your child, but also that, that kind of question from the, you know, the, 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 why did this happen? What could I have done to prevent this from happening? I think there are reasonable things we can do to help so that kids aren't shocked when someone attacks them in the way that we know they're going to be attacked. As Richard pointed out, you know, the church has made all of these resources now available and, sharing it with them can help. But at the same time, it might not. Right. I mean, the, the reality is I talk with people all the time who are struggling with church history issues. And when it gets right down to the heart of what they're really struggling with is that they don't want to believe a certain aspect of the church's doctrine or teaching. And so the fact that they didn't want to believe it led them to go try to find a reason why Joseph Smith must not be a prophet. And lo and behold, there were people willing to tell them why he must not be a prophet. And so then they no longer had to deal with the doctrine or practice or principle that they were struggling with. It, there are so many different reasons why um, we, we never know, but I, my heart goes out to you. Um, I, I'm 
I don't know. I, I wish I could say I know exactly how you feel. I don't know. All I can say is that I sympathize. I'm grateful that you feel like we've been able to help in any way with the podcast, just with, with your own self. But I think maybe I would just share with you, Blaine, um, something that Joseph Smith said in a discourse in August 13th of 1843, when he was talking about Elijah, the prophet and sealing, he said, uh, when speaking of the passage, I will send Elijah, the prophet. He said, it should read that he shall turn the hearts of the children to the covenant made with their fathers. Also where it says that they shall seal the servants of God in their forehead, etc. It means to seal the blessings on their heads, meaning the everlasting covenant, thereby making their calling and election sure. When a seal is put upon the father and the mother, it secures their posterity, so they cannot be lost, but will be saved by the virtue of the covenant of their father. I don't know exactly what that means, but I know that Joseph makes multiple statements that discuss that these sealing bonds have the power, um, even, uh, even with the posterity. I don't know how everything will work out. I just know that everything will. And it's certainly what Joseph and Brigham and and Wilford Woodruff and John Taylor, what they believed, that God would find a way for things to work out. So thank you for your very honest and kind email, Blaine. Um, and and hopefully, you know, if if we had your address, we'd we'd you know, we'd we'd send you a a Jersey Mike sub, obviously, because that's... <laughs> well, maybe they just make them poorly in Kansas. Is that possible? possible? It's possible that if there's only one that's in the middle of nowhere and they can't get anyone to work in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that that's it. I, I think that's it. You you come out here. You come out to Utah. I'll take it to, to my Jersey Mike's up in Layton. They do it right there. They do it right. I, I, uh, I've had a bad sandwich there, too. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think Richard's just a spokesperson for them in his entire role. I just role love their pod- doggone sandwiches. They're so yeah, good. Now I kind of want a sandwich. Well, let's talk about what we were going to talk about. Um, you know, leaving such a cheery uh, topic. Uh, thank you both, Aaron and Blaine, for your for your comments. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about. Uh, you know, I kind of hesitated to talk about this. One. It tangentially, well, not tangentially at all. It's related to plural marriage. I mean, I, I will say so. There was uh, so we I had a work incentive trip uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, my wife was uh, poolside uh, reading um, Helen Mar Kimball Whitney's book. Uh, why we practice plural why marriage? We, why we practice plural marriage at the pool? And she was just she was just reading it, and she, and so I would occasionally come down. I was doing some work in our in my hotel room, and I'd come down and um, and by work I mean working on dissertation stuff, and by by that I'd be like reading a bunch of articles that don't and then matter. staring at a page and saying, <laughs> "How do I write this at all?" That's right. So then I'd come down, and then I'd say, "Hey, how's it going?" She's like, "You won't believe that." Anyway, so Becky was getting all worked up. I thought it was a pretty boss move. I was pretty impressed with my wife reading a book about polygamy at poolside at the thing. It was, she got a lot of eyes. It was very funny. Uh, she loved the book, by and the way. And it didn't help when people asked where she was from. Yeah, she said Utah. Utah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like, you, so are you, question, are you thinking about it? She got that one from somebody. I'm not just thinking about it. I'm learning how to do it better. <laughs> yeah, anyway, so... Um, thought that was a pretty boss move. She uh, got that because I gave a fireside in Richard's ward, uh, and the, the the topic was plural marriage. It was. It's so it's it's us doing the gospel topics essays in our, in our ward, and Garrett's been kind enough to come and do these firesides. He did uh, polygamy part one, which assumes polygamy part two. No, nope, polygamy part one. <laughs> And that's the Freemasonry, different accounts of the first vision or the translation book more. Anyway, it was it was great and you did such a great job on it. I thought um you always say when's you've never heard a good, you know, talk about polygamy or a good lecture on polygamy because it's such a hard topic to right. talk it's about. Just, there's always just less bad ones that but, I give. But I thought it was really good. So inspiring that uh, Becky went out and bought <laughs> a book about polygamy by one of one of, Joe, one of Joseph Smith's wives that he was who, sealed to, right? who wrote a book about plural marriage, and I'm sure Becky told you she uh, 
She does not mince her words. Oh, she's she seems a pretty a pretty tough lady that didn't want anybody's anything. She felt very is very condescending of these New York women to tell me how who, I should. Who are you to tell me yeah, was that great. I'm oppressed? Basically, I yeah. voted today. Yeah, something like that. So, if you're wondering, you know, that's our the standard <laughs> book club <laughs> book of the month. <laughs> We should do uh, a book club. Well, with Mark Kimball, Whitney's. <laughs> well, we'll only pick 19th century books. We'll do History of the Saints. We'll oh, do, my uh, gosh. That's so we'll, funny. We'll do Mormonism Unveiled. Oh, my gosh. Well, this year, the book is the Book of Mormon. As we follow, come follow me. No, that's New Testament. Sorry. Yeah. Richard doesn't even know what I got. <laughs> Richard. Richard is in a bishopric currently, but doesn't know what our gospel curriculum is for this year. It's been a busy week. Uh, New Testament. New Testament. New Testament. Just did Lazarus. So, yes. There we go. And like Lazarus, we're going to try to raise this podcast from the dead uh, by going back to our original topic. Yes. Um, Because we're talking about how it's difficult to know the source of certain quotes, or sometimes as you track them down... They end up not being everything you thought they were. Now, I'm going to start this off by saying I realize that this topic is going to be somewhat, I don't know, I don't want to say controversial. I'm not trying to be controversial in any way. But, you know, the the, the question we got about uh, the quote on the resurrection was a fairly obscure quote referencing a fairly obscure part of a talk that Joseph Smith gave. I'm sure some of our listeners had heard it before. Certainly, you know, anyone who was in, you know, this person's class because he said he quoted it multiple times. Um, But it wasn't widespread. When I was working on the Joseph Smith papers, one of the documents that I had to deal with for one of the, one of the volumes I was working on was something that has come to be known as the happiness letter. Um, it's so called because of the the phrase in it. It's, it's not called happiness letter. It's certainly not written happiness letter. But the quote is something that you have probably heard at some point in your life. And it's something that has been um, uh, repeated often in various formats in the church. And so... Uh, here is, is that quote, happiness is the object and design of our existence and will be the end thereof. If we pursue the path that leads to it. And this path is virtue, uprightness, faithfulness, holiness, and keeping all the commandments of God. So this, this quote has been offered in many a Sunday school, I've heard it in multiple state conferences. Um, I've heard it uh, in, in fact, years ago, I I heard it in general conference several times. You haven't heard it in general conference recently. In fact, you could probably go look and see that you haven't seen it recently. And in fact, I will sometimes even have people ask me, Hey, what do you know about this? You know, we used to quote it all the time, but we don't seem to quote it anymore. Yeah, enter Garrett the Dream Crusher. Well, I mean, I'm it's not it's not my fault. <laughs> no. I mean, not entirely. So, while I was working on the Joseph Smith papers, we had to kind of figure out this uh quote because this was attributed to Joseph Smith. Here's what most people don't know. That this is attributed to Joseph Smith by one of the most scandalous people in uh, uh, Latter-day Saint history, John C. Bennett. John C. Bennett is essentially the Nauvoo version of Philastus Hurlbut. Uh, the difference between Dr. Philastus Hurlbut, the good doctor, as we like to call him on this podcast, and uh, John C. Bennett is that Bennett is actually much more high, highly placed in the church. He, at the time of his excommunication, he is going to be not only a member of the first presidency, but he's also going to be the mayor of Nauvoo. So he's just about as highly placed as you can possibly get in the church. He, he 
ascends this uh, you know staircase of fame very quickly because he is he, he seems to be a, a very charismatic individual and he's one of the people that helps secure the expansive Nauvoo charter for the city of Nauvoo and so that demonstrates him as someone who is very helpful to the saints and to the church and he he quickly moves up both the ecclesiastical ladder but also the the, the local political ladder as as mayor of of the city i think most people only think that joseph smith was ever the mayor of the city well john c bennett was the mayor before well john c bennett is uh someone who is going to begin teaching something that is quite, well, quite beyond what you would think is appropriate Latter-day Saint theology. Bennett is going to teach something called spiritual wifery. Now, you'll probably hear sometimes the term spiritual wifery. It all descends from John C. Bennett. Um, John C. Bennett is someone who is excommunicated from the church for teaching this. And he's going to claim, well, at least reportedly, he's going to claim to several people in Nauvoo that Joseph Smith has taught him that that this, that believing Latter-day Saints could have sexual relations with one another without any commitments whatsoever. When this is found out, Bennett is going to be excommunicated from the church and uh he's also going to make a public confession of his sins he's going to say that he made a mistake and um you know this uh uh this excommunication seems like it's going to be the end it was a high profile excommunication at the same time it seems like things are over and, and out the door goes, goes John C. Bennett. Now Bennett for his part is going to then renounce his confession. He's going to claim that he signed his confession under duress, that the only reason he made a public confession is that Joseph Smith threatened him. And Bennett is going to start writing a series of letters attacking the church, attacking Joseph Smith and, especially important for our discussion is going to claim that Joseph Smith was secretly practicing plural marriage. Now that part of John C. Bennett's claim has the truth in it. Joseph has been practicing plural marriage since 1841 or at least plural ceilings, um, depending on, on, on how you look at it. I mean, the number of, uh, uh, of these marriages that are, you know, these women that are living in his household, is, is very few, but Joseph has been being sealed to other, uh, to other women, according to historical documents. So could you, could you just speak to that a little bit? So when we think of sealing, we think about it really in one way. Was sealing always interpreted that way in terms of like in a marriage Well, way? certainly uh, we view it very differently today because when we generally talk about it today, we almost always talk about in reference to people getting married, right? I mean, we will say, oh, yes, you know, children will be sealed to their parents. But since that almost never happens, in our common parlance, the only time that we're ever really saying it is we use it as a replacement for the word marriage when people are getting married, right? Oh, you know, Bill and and, and Jenny are being sealed in the, you know, in the, the Timpanogos Temple, which... So we, we use it generally in our general parlance as a, as a replacement for marriage, of course, knowing what the theology is behind it. Um, but there are lots of different types of sealing that are going on um, in Nauvoo, just like there's different types of sealing going on today. If I say to you that, you know, Bill was sealed to Jennifer, you're going to assume that I'm talking about a marriage but I might actually be talking about the fact that Jennifer's having her adopted son, Bill, sealed to him, right? You, you wouldn't know that unless I stated it. Similarly, in these early period of sealings, people are being sealed in various different ways. Some uh, seem to be sealings that are clearly only for this next life. For instance, people are being sealed to other families, right? 
kind of weird to us, doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but these kinds of adoptionary ceilings are being made where someone, you know, maybe Heber C. Kimball's the person who baptized you. And so when, the, you know, when they start, initi- you know, initiating sealing ordinances, you ask to have your, you and your family sealed to Heber C. Kimball. Now that may not even make a lot of sense to us today. Like, well, I'm not sure what you even mean by that. Although we still do adoptionary sealings, right? We still seal people into families when they've been legally adopted. That that still goes on, but on a limited basis. There was these adoptionary sealings where people were sealed to extended other families that ended with Revelation 2, Wilford Woodruff. So for a good you know, 50 years uh, of the church, it was a common thing for there to be ceilings that were not marriages and that were not children, right? That there were ceilings that were dynastic uh, or familial in nature, expanding the family network where someone might be sealed to Brigham Young, even though they have no connection to him, uh, Linearly or by marriage at all. And that, that's not to say that that Joseph didn't practice polygamy. It's just saying that when we say sealing, there's a lot of additional things that are going on. Right. And so one of the questions that that historians have to wrestle with is: Are all of Joseph's sealings from the Nauvoo period are they all equal? Are all of those sealings? Ceilings that are considered to be marriages in every sense of the word, um, or are they? Are some of them, or any of them, dynastic type of ceilings where Joseph is being sealed as a means of joining families together, rather than um, viewing it as a marriage? And and in most cases, we don't really have the ability to discern that. At the same time, we're well aware that some of Joseph's mismarriages are marriages in every sense of the word, at least according to the women who are part of those marriages. But I digress. Uh, the The point of, of bringing that up is to say that Joseph is practicing it. And so John C. Bennett is going to try to find a way through publications to attack Joseph Smith on this point, to claim that he's practicing plural marriage, but then to, of course, greatly exaggerate what's going on in those plural marriages. He's going to write a series of letters um, that will be published in newspapers, and then he will take those letters and they will be the basis of a book that he will write, uh, a book that will, frankly, cut and paste a whole bunch of stuff from Mormonism Unveiled, which is not terribly surprising as anti-Mormon books are written. But, of course, will add to it his own thing, that he has this insider knowledge of these uh, these sinful uh, polygamous marriages, which are really just adultery that are taking place. For his part, Chauncey Bennett is going to claim that he was excommunicated under false pretenses. That, in fact, once he discovered that Joseph and the leadership of the church were practicing these polygamous marriages, John C. Bennett said, you know what, I'm going to expose you and I'm going to tell the world what's going on. And that because of that, Joseph Smith excommunicated him. Now that goes against what John C. Bennett's actual statement was when he repudiated his actions and when he confessed his sins. Well, but he was, he was forced to. Because he was forced, exactly. Course. But still in all, um, I pointed out in an article that I wrote that regardless of what John C. Bennett what his motivation actually is or what actually happened, we know that John C. Bennett is on some level lying about what took place. Why do we say this? Well, because John C. Bennett will initially claim that he did nothing that caused him to be excommunicated for adultery, that it was all a lie that was trumped up and made up in order to get him kicked out of the church. But I know that he's lying about that. And how do I know that he's lying? Because John C. Bennett says that's not, later contradicts himself and says that's not what actually happened. So I'm faced with having to decide whether I accept John C. Bennett was telling the truth in the first place and then later lying or lying in the first place and then later telling the truth. 
But in either case, he is not being completely forthright. Um, again, I'll even give you the source for this. Um, he's doing, he goes around giving these public sermons on Mormonism, um, in, in the 1840s. And it seems like it's, you know, that and his sales of his book become like his primary income. People are paying 25 cents, 50 cents ahead to get into a hall where he's going to be talking about Mormons. And his services are very much in demand as Mormons are weird and Mormons are now heading out into the into the American West. And so people want to hear what he has to say. So after years of saying that there was nothing to his excommunication at all, nothing to do at all, um, he will admit that he had been, um, in fact, quote, expelled for some indiscretions with a sister. Uh, this uh, a non-Latter-day Saint newspaper reporter in Boston is covering one of his speaking tours and said that Bennett had commenced by giving with remarkable candor and plainness the history of his amour with a, quote, gentle princess of Nauvoo. The Mormons, however, he declared, were themselves guilty of the very sin for which they'd excommunicated him. So here you have Bennett, who for years has said, there was nothing to my excommunication at all. I didn't commit any sins at all. This was all a sham operation. That's the reason why I was excommunicated. And then Bennett says, okay, actually I did commit sins and that's why I was excommunicated. But they were way worse. But they were just worse than me, right? So so the reality is um, there seems to be something to John C. Bennett's excommunication even according to John C. Bennett's account. Even if John C. Bennett is telling the truth, which, spoiler alert, he's not. But let's just say that he was. By his own account, he is admitting that he did something that by the law of the church, by DNC 42, he should have been excommunicated for. So that's not that's not Garrett going off on his apologetic Mormon tangents. It's John C. Bennett saying that he committed adultery. And even if Joseph Smith was committing adultery, if I'm looking at this as a historian, that wouldn't that wouldn't absolve John C. Bennett from committing adultery just because someone else is. Yeah, well, I know that I did, but like other people, like they were doing even more adultery. I mean, it almost sounds like John C. Bennett is like a, a kid <laughs> caught with drugs at a party, right? And the officer's like, what are you doing with this with, with this pot? Well, they were doing heroin in the back room. Oh, okay. Um, why were you with the illegal pot? Well, I, I mean, but it's not really that bad. I mean, you can see the... You can see the, uh, the the attempt to try to justify, but really all he's doing is admitting that in fact there was something to uh, the entire the entire affair of his excommunication. I guess affair having a double meaning there. Why am I spending any time on this at all? Because in John C. Bennett's book that he will write, History of the Saints, which kind of sounds like it's a modern like Glenn Rawson video not affiliated okay <laughs> history of the saints is a is a book that is virulently anti-mormon and makes all kinds of claims in that book john c bennett is going to publish what he's already published in his newspaper articles and that is that joseph smith was attempting to persuade multiple women in nauvoo to join him in plural marriages, and that one of those women was Sidney Rigdon's daughter, Nancy Rigdon. The way that John C. Bennett tells the story, uh, you know, she must have initially rebuffed Joseph. And so Joseph wrote this letter trying to convince her to practice plural marriage. That letter that John C. Bennett is our source for is what is often called the happiness letter. Now that will be perplexing to some people listening because they will say, wait a minute, why are we quoting in former manuals of the church something that the biggest apostate who ever lived said that Joseph said? Well, maybe Joseph really did say it. Maybe he's just taking and quoting it and taking it out of context. Well, that's, therein lies the problem with the source. 
The problem is Joseph Smith himself denies that he's the author of it, as do other people. Um, in fact, uh, Sidney Rigdon, whose daughter is the object of this letter, will publish this kind of cryptic denial in the newspaper. The letter which has appeared in the Sangamo Journal, making part of General Bennett's letters to said paper, purporting to have been written by Mr. Joseph Smith to her, to Nancy Rigdon, was unauthorized by her, and that she never said to General Bennett or any other person that the said letter was written by said Mr. Smith, nor in his handwriting, but by another person and in another person's handwriting. Sidney Rigdon then stated, I would further state that Mr. Smith denied to me the authorship of that letter. Further, there is another denial that Joseph wrote it that's in the other church newspaper at the time, The Wasp. This is published by, by William Smith, Joseph Smith's brother. What purports to be a letter from Joseph Smith to Miss Nancy Rigdon is without date, name, or proof. And if it had these, is, upon the whole, more moral than Bennett ever was or will be himself. But we hope the community are not yet quite so far from the common course of justice and propriety to take Bennett's word for the truth or fallacy of the curious thing. And then, emphatically, Joseph Smith is not the author. It seems like then, well, th there's a pretty clear denial there, right? Sidney Rigdon, who is the father of the alleged recipient, Nancy Rigdon, is saying Joseph didn't write it. Joseph told me he didn't write it. And then you have the church's newspaper saying Joseph Smith is not the author. How then does this end up in our history of the church? Because you're thinking, well, how did this make it into manuals? Well, because it's published in the history of the church. Um, in fact, it is published in the history of Joseph Smith that's published in the Deseret News in 1855. Remember, they are working on trying to publish the history of Joseph Smith uh, all throughout uh, Joseph Smith's you know, time in Nauvoo. Beginning in 1842, they're trying to publish what will later come to be known as the history of the church. In Nauvoo, it's being published serially, meaning in a series, not Captain Crunch, that it's being published in a series. Um, and the plan is just keep publishing this history until they have all the history out there, right? Owing to the many false reports, right? So, so it, it does no good to create a history if they don't publish it to the world to get it out there. And owing to the many false reports, you know, Joseph has commissioned that history. And so they're publishing a little bit of it at a time every single week. Well, they don't get anywhere near caught up to where Joseph Smith's life is before Joseph Smith is murdered. And shortly after Joseph Smith's murder, uh, the saints are going to be driven from Illinois by mob violence and threatened federal government interaction or intervention. And so they resume trying to publish this history. Of, again, they call it history of Joseph Smith when it's published. Eventually, those publications will be collected and republished in that six-volume set called History of the Church by B.H. Roberts is going to collect them. But when it was first published, it was called History of Joseph Smith. They're the same source, though. They're, they're literally the same. It's the same writing, the same source, although B.H. Roberts has done some editing and he's provided some editorial notes. So why does that matter? Well, in the creation of the history for this time period, the letter to Nancy Rigdon, or as you might commonly know it, the happiness letter, is not included by Willard Richards. Willard Richards is the historian at the time, and in fact, when he comes to this portion of the history as he's drafting it, he writes a note in his draft notes saying that um, to see... Uh, 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 a letter on um, on account of his daughter Nancy. See Sidney Rigdon's letter on account of his daughter Nancy. And that's it. He doesn't copy in 
the happiness letter, nor does he copy in the denial letter, but he just kind of leaves it blank. And that's how the history goes forward. Willard Richards will then die. Uh, well, I mean, not immediately. He doesn't immediately die because he didn't include it. And that sounds pretty fatalistic, right? Well, he rolled over and, yeah, and, yeah. and snagged one of, the, one of the triggers on one of his one mini of the, guns one, yeah. that I'm sure he's sleeping he, on. He didn't die from one of the 94 revolvers he had <laughs> hidden in his cloak. Um, he, you know, he, he's, he, he's a little bit sickly near the end of his life, and he just dies of, of natural causes, essentially. Um, but after his death, they are still working on the project of the history. But losing Willard Richards is a massive loss, not just because he is a, a member of the first presidency, but because he has been involved in the drafting of this history for almost a decade, or more than a decade at this point by the time he dies. He is the one who's been creating the drafts. He's the one who's been revising them. He was taking drafts to Joseph Smith to have Joseph revise them. He was taking them to Brigham Young to have Brigham revise them. And so suddenly, the, I mean, really, the, the founder of this history, the, the person who got it all going, is gone. And the, the historical department, such as it is, the people that are, that are employed uh, writing the church history, they are left without this kind of steady rudder that had always been there. Willard Richards wasn't just someone who had experienced many of these events with Joseph. Because he was the prophet's secretary and scribe, many of the things they were including into the history were documents that Willard Richards himself had written when they first happened. So he had a perspective on them that other people, frankly, did not have because he was there at the moment of their creation. It's after Willard Richards' death that there is going to be the inclusion of the text of the happiness letter. And, you know, not to leave you on too big of a cliffhanger, but to explain that, we're going to go to next week's episode. Well done. No, I, I really no. need people to tune in next week, mainly because if the Lakers did lose— they, of course, I they need lost. so many people to write in and talk about it. <laughs> I need, I need I know, this for you. I know. So anyway, we will pick this topic back up again next week. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.